Today, listen to the story of a journey to being a seven-figure seller that all started with a random conversation in a bar in China. Then find out why he moved from Oregon to Puerto Rico and what the benefits are from a tax and lifestyle perspective of living there for American citizens. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast. And I have a guest today, John Haddon. John, am I pronouncing your last name right? Yes, you are, sir. But now you live in uh, Puerto Rico now, right? Yeah. So do I need to call you Juan? Juanito? Uh, you can. You can. You wouldn't be the first <laughs> or probably the last. All, All right. right. Cool. So we're, we're definitely going to talk about Puerto Rico today, but I literally, I don't think we've ever met in person, right? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. So. so like, I know, you know, Manny and you've talked to him and you're on the AMPM podcast before, but this is literally completely new to me. You know, this talk up topic, I can't even talk right. This topic about Puerto Rico and actually your history. So can you just give us a, a brief history of, uh, first of all, you with e-commerce and Amazon, like how did you get into this space uh, originally? What's your origin story? <laughs> uh, good question. So I moved from Oregon to China right out of college uh, with my then wife and uh, basically was working at teaching English, uh, read the four hour work week and uh, decided to start kind of my own company, was talking to some rando in a bar about it. And he suggested Amazon and basically his pitch was- In a bar in China? In a bar in China, an American dude. So, so you're just- you're just- chilling in a bar in China. And like, that's how you decided to start selling on Amazon. Yeah. I was literally following Timothy Ferris's model of, uh, you know, before you buy mm -hmm. inventory, throw up a website, try and drive some like Google ads to it. And I was talking to this guy and he's like, why would you do your own website? Even if you get featured on Oprah, which, you know, was still a show back then. Uh, he's like, you know, you're gonna, your sales are going to skyrocket. Your traffic's going to boom on your site. And then as people forget about you, it's going to tail off. He's like, why would you do that when you could do Amazon? do all the work, the SEO, everything once, get your listing to the top and sit back and make residual money with a company that's financially incentivized to keep your listing there if you're doing better than other. So it's like... That's a pretty deep conversation for a Chinese bar. Yeah, right. Oh, 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 what bar yeah. is this? Yeah, <laughs> well, where was this in China? <laughs> this is in Shenzhen. Oh, in Shenzhen. So you went to China though, having nothing to do with e-commerce, but actually to teach English. I studied business and I was involved in startups in school. Uh, so my, my goal was to just get there and pay for it in whichever way I could. Cause I, I don't, you know, have a rich uncle or come from money. So, uh, so I had a job there that was paying the bills and then started working for a startup over there. Uh, and just kind of moonlighting my Amazon business. You know, I, I started with 200 bucks. Uh, that was how much I had to invest. Uh, so I invested and, and bought like 20 MacBook chargers and sent to Amazon and then sold them. And then I had like, 400 bucks and just kept playing that game. So cash flow management was a big learning curve for sure. What, what year was this? Uh, 2015, I think, or four, 14. Okay. I so think this is when was I guess, back then. W where in Oregon are you from? Uh, all over, but uh, Corvallis, Albany area, actually. Okay. So you know about voodoo donuts then I assume, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the reason I don't live in Oregon. I'm already overweight as it is. I would probably be 30 pounds more if I lived anywhere in Oregon, anywhere yeah. within a radius of voodoo donuts. So you went from Oregon, Corvallis, left your voodoo donuts behind, went to Shenzhen teaching English. Did you learn Chinese while you were there? Yeah, I learned some. I can't read or write, but I can I can speak okay. Well, I, at least I could when I was there. I've I've switched mostly to Spanish at this point and forgotten a lot of my Chinese, but yeah. Uh, I, I'm the same. I used to speak Japanese. And then when I learned Spanish, you know, my brain couldn't handle three languages. So like every <laughs> Spanish word I learned 
then I forgot a Japanese word. So did that help at all being in China, speaking a little bit of Chinese when you first started sourcing your products? Yeah, I'd say it definitely established some credibility with my suppliers. Like, you know, just being able to like, you know, say like, oh, ni hao, ni hao, oh, you know, like just like some pleasantries. Uh, it, and yeah, it definitely established some credibility. However, I would say that I've never actually had a, a conversation in Chinese with my main supplier that I've been using for years. Uh, and yeah, so I'd say uh, professionally, it's not been that useful except for establishing a little bit of credibility. However, while I was living in China, it's necessary. Like I didn't plan on learning Chinese, but since I didn't have the money for a translator, just like getting around and, and living life, you know, for a year and a half, it's like, you have to learn some, some basics because nobody speaks English. Now, what, what, what kind of visa did you have to have? I mean, like how, how difficult is it for anyone to like, you know, Americans like, Hey, I, I just want to move to China. Like, is it easier because you were there trying to teach English or, or is this something that any American could do? Yeah. So you need, good question. You, you need work visas. Uh, at least you used to, I believe China just changed it where now I think you can be there for like a year or something without needing a visa, which is, which is like crazy new shift in Chinese policy. Um, but before you either needed like a tourist visa, which would allow you a certain amount of days or a work visa. And the work visas were, were not easy to get, but they have a huge need for English teachers. So if you guys, any listeners out there want to move to China, they are always looking for English teachers. You don't make a ton of money, but it gets you there and it gets you in the, in the right part of the world where, you know, stuff's happening and you can learn the inside and out. Cool. Cool. So like you said, you were just ordering like 20 chargers and sent it to Amazon. I'm assuming that didn't allow you to quit your day job of teaching. So like, Fast forward to like, how were you able to, to scale, you know, from, from that size to, to a model that actually allowed you to start doing Amazon as your main source of income? Yeah, I would say that picking a product that did not have a ton of aftermarket issues, uh, that was my biggest problem with the MacBook chargers is, uh, they were just, I'm not an electrical engineer and I didn't have a full quality control team. So at least for like beginning products, starting with stuff that like, uh, is not going to have mechanical issues and, and cause a whole host of problems. You know, things like napkins or, you know, silverware are not going to have <laughs> the same issues as, as chargers and adapters. So, uh, so I'd say picking good products definitely helped. And, uh, really just, you have to grind, man. Like, like I was working, you know, eight hours, uh, or sorry, nine hours a, a day at the office. And then, you know, I'd play rugby and then I would come home and work until like, you know, one or two, not every night, you know, you're like, you're still a human, but like, I remember definitely when my wife was like sleeping and I would just be up till two or three, just handling, handling stuff that needs to happen, you know, cause you're kind of a, a permanent firefighter when your business is first launching. So, uh, yeah, just all, all those curves, man, you, you just don't, you don't really know until you put in the time. So, so at what point did you move away? You said it was like a year, a year or so. Like, did you move away from China because your Amazon business, you know, grew so much where now you didn't have to teach anymore or just, you got tired of living over there or, or yeah. what, how did that, how, how'd that work out? So I'd say it was a combination of, um, it just being time, uh, to, to kind of go. So, uh, but also that was in conjunction with finally getting the business to a point where I, I did feel comfortable kind of stepping away. Cause I wasn't making big money. Like, I, I, you know, probably us dollars less than 30 grand a year. So I didn't need a lot of income to replace it. So essentially, you know, I, I don't mind living frugal and off Mac and cheese and, you know, top ramen. So I was just literally like all the money that I made, I didn't take any distributions really for probably the first two years. Uh, 
and just kind of was just managing my money from my salary very well and putting everything that I made back into the business and any spare cent I could from my job, put that into the business too. Cause scaling is, is the biggest thing that you need to do is, you know, if you keep selling out cause you can't buy 8,000 units of inventory, then you need to solve that problem and <laughs> eat top ramen until you do. Yeah. Hey, nothing, nothing wrong with that. So every college, how every college student gets through <laughs> university there. So yeah. where did you move back to when you uh, moved back to or away from China? I moved back to Bend, Oregon and, uh, and Portland, Oregon kind of split my time between the two. And, uh, it was pretty sweet. I love Oregon, but at least for me, like I really like traveling and being in some place that's challenging and new and exotic for me. Uh, mm. and yeah, so I, I, as soon as I got back to Oregon, I was kind of looking for other places, especially warmer places to move, you know, growing yeah, up there, yeah. it's beautiful, but I, I prefer the sun and the, the Puerto Rican beach. Yeah. Oregon winters are, are kind of rough for those not used to that. So like, did you continue to scale your business or like at what level did you get to like for Amazon was, was all your business on Amazon or. Yeah. So, uh, through Amazon, uh, have a lot of success in Europe and a lot of success in the States and we're seven figures, uh, and have been probably since 2015 or so. Um, and uh, essentially what I really did, instead of just scaling it to the max, which a lot of people do, and, and if I had had the capital and the know-how that I have now, I totally would have done that. Um, but being like 22 years old, uh, scaling and hiring people and, and figuring out the logistics of living in Puerto Rico, um, you know, going through a divorce, all that stuff is, is definitely slowed down the scaling of sales. And also the game is consistently changing on Amazon. So uh, what I've really focused on is finding talented people that maybe don't know Amazon or anything about online marketing or, or affiliate marketing and really just finding smart people that I know I trust and are have integrity and training them uh, to, to manage. And, and really that's been my success is hiring people and stepping out. Cause when you're doing everything on your own, like I, I grew up to a seven figure business before hiring anybody. But then you're wearing like 30 hats and you're like, none of these are full-time jobs and you don't really even know who to hire for. So you get really stuck in this position. At least I know I did. And I know a lot of other people that have. And I, I think my success was just taking that leap of faith. And my first few hires weren't even successful hires. They didn't help me that much. And I lost a lot of time, you know, training them and, 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 you know, getting them up to speed and then ending up not working out and having to do it all over again. And it's a shitty process, but at the end of the day, you have to go through it. You have to learn. You have to learn how to hire people. You have to learn how to scale and start delegating tasks. And that's been really one of the biggest learning curves I've had through my Amazon business is not which tactic is, is killing it, but how do you build a sustainable business model that's going to run when you're not involved anymore? Yeah. Very, very important. Now, you know, throughout what you just said, and, and from the beginning, we've been talking a little about Puerto Rico. So like, at what point did you move there and what motivated you to move to Puerto Rico? Yeah. So I had a list of criteria of places I wanted to move. That was just important to me personally. Uh, one was just being geographically close to a whole lot of cool places I want to visit. And the Caribbean is a great spot for that. I can go to the East coast. I can go to Europe. I can go to South America, everything pretty easily. Um, it's beautiful here. It's got beautiful, uh, people, beautiful oceans, uh, beautiful beaches, beautiful fish. Uh, the coral reefs are all dying. So at least for me, I get to explore them a lot before they all go away. Uh, so not to take it to a negative place, but, um, yeah, so to answer your question, I was in Portland for about a year, uh, before I moved to Puerto Rico 
And the other big incentive was in Oregon, I was getting hammered by taxes. And, uh, you know, I like taxes. They're there for a reason. Um, but if the big boys are not paying any taxes, I, I don't feel like I should. And that's, I guess, you know, I kind of have an ethical problem with my parents who are school teachers paying more money in taxes than Donald Trump. So it's like a, a little strange. So anyways, Puerto Rico has some very cool tax incentives that, uh, specifically for Americans are probably the best in the world right now, unless you get into some really crazy corporate espionage, you know, multi shell corporations in different countries all around the world, you know, that's a little too advanced, but for an American, if you move to Puerto Rico, you no longer have to pay any capital gains tax on any passive investments you have. And if you locate your company here, uh, and you apply for these, these tax exemptions, then your company only pays 4%, uh, corporate income tax. And then all of your distributions after that are completely tax free as well. So you go from basically paying, you know, anywhere from 30% sales tax or 40%, depending on your state, which is what I was paying in Oregon, sorry, not sales tax, just overall tax to uh, about 4%. So it, it's a massive savings without really changing your business model or increasing sales. Okay. Let, let, let's, you know, there's a lot of terminology there that even is above me because I've always hated taxes and stuff. So, and I'm sure some of my listeners are as dense as myself, as far as this goes. So let, let, let's just do a, taxes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Right. Let, let, let's do uh, like a, just a scenario here. Let's say there's an Amazon seller. He's, he's grossing a million dollars a year, seven figure seller. Maybe his, you know, profit is a hundred K. If he lived in Oregon, like what kind of taxes would he be paying on that? Well, rough, rough, rough. Yeah, I mean, keep in mind, I'm not a lawyer or a tax yeah, yeah, specialist by trade. So uh, don't quote me on any of this. But it, in Oregon, I after self-employment tax, uh, personal income tax, and my company's tax liabilities, uh, it was 40%. I, I think it was like 39.5% uh, in Oregon because there's a 9% personal yeah, it's income It's based tax on your profit? Too. or It's based on your profit, yeah. So they would assume that whole 100K... Uh, yeah. You know, if that was what the company made, whether it was transferred to you or not, even if it's mm -hmm. just sitting in the company, you owe 40 grand in taxes. Okay. Uh, so more or less. Uh, yeah. Okay. So now apples to apples, that same exact seller the following year, he makes the same money, same profit, but now he lives in Puerto Rico. Are you saying that maybe he would only be happy to pay like four to six grand? Uh, he would only have to pay four grand flat. Wow. That's a lot of money right there. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big savings. Um, and you know, the added benefit too, which I didn't really expect moving to Puerto Rico, but you know, there's, there's expat communities, you know, kind of all over the world, right. You know, in China, I was hanging out with Russians and Germans and, and, you know, all, all these people. And you kind of form these communities when you're living abroad in a place that's maybe not super familiar to you. So in Puerto Rico, there's definitely that. But the cool thing is because of these tax incentives, it's like a little Silicon Valley. You know, there's, there's the most successful people I've met in my entire life down here. You know, there's like big eight figure sellers that, you know, I'm palling around with, you know, grabbing lunch, grabbing dinner. Uh, there's huge affiliates that are making, you know, a million dollars a month. they like just crushing it at levels that I, I've like never really fathomed before. Uh, like I thought I was killing it when I had a seven figure business compared to all my friends in Oregon. <laughs> and then I moved mm -hmm. down here and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm such a small fish. 
and it's such a big punt, you know, but it's cool because it's this group think mentality. And, and since I moved down here, I opened two call centers and started a new company with, uh, uh, friends that I met down here that are just like executors. They're just, they're smart guys that know how to take a pro a project from inception idea to making money. And it, it's, it's really cool to be surrounded by that energy and that positivity. Now, what, what about the cost of living in Puerto Rico? Like, you know, let's say you, you're, you're making a hundred grand. Does a hundred grand in Puerto Rico go farther than it does in Oregon, for example? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Like, um, uh, the cost of real estate down here is, uh, really cheap right now and it's only skyrocketing. Uh, most people I know that bought real estate about two years ago, it's doubled in, in value, uh, cause there's. There's a lot of investment coming into Puerto Rico right now uh, for two reasons. One, because of the hurricane, there's a lot of FEMA money being dumped into it. And like half of the um, government buildings down here, fortunately, are going to be completely scrapped and rebuilt from the bottom up. Uh, so there's a ton of money coming in from that. And uh, if you guys want to Google Opportunity Zone Fund, basically what that is, is in you know very downtrodden parts of America, uh, Trump's new tax bill said, if you want to invest money into this area. Let's say it's like, you know, uh, someplace in, in Mississippi that just really needs investment. They say, okay, if you made a million dollars in, uh, let's say stock appreciation, passive investment, you, so like for the example, let's just say you bought Apple stock really cheap is appreciated. You've made a million dollars. Now you owe $200,000 in capital gains tax. It's basically 20% flat. So they will waive that tax completely if you invest your entire gain, that million dollars, into an opportunity zone fund, which most of the time is just real estate, like hotels, Airbnbs, you know, buying investment properties. It could also be businesses, but let's just use real estate for this example. So you take a million dollars, you invest that million dollars into real estate in Mississippi in an area that's been identified as an opportunity zone. Basically, after 10 years, the IRS now will write off that entire $200,000 tax debt that you owe. And in the meantime, all of the income that you've gathered out of that investment is also tax-free. So most of the US, these little pockets are in places that are uh, you know, not desirable for a lot of, I'd say, real estate investment. Uh, however, they made all of Puerto Rico, 99% of Puerto Rico, with the exception of like some very high, high income beachfront properties, they've made all of it an opportunity zone fund. So the big, big, big players from New York, Wall Street, you know, they know about these tax incentives and they're basically playing off the opportunity zone fund with these other Act 2022s and investing a ton of money down here. Like, so there's billions and billions of dollars right now rolling into Puerto Rico. And it's, it's going to, there's going to be a lot changing around here. Uh, and you know, some's going to be for better and sadly, some's going to be for worse. Interesting. So like, I mean, that's the investment part, but as far as the taxes, you know, I'm assuming you obviously have to live in, in Puerto Rico, but like what, I mean, I can't just like buy a house and say, oh yes, you know, charge me at the Puerto Rican rates. I, I'm sh pretty sure yeah. there's a certain what percentage of the year I actually physically need to be in, in Puerto Rico to, to qualify for, for some of these tax rates, right? Yeah, exactly. So they have. So, like, what, what are those requirements? Yeah. So, um, the terminology is called a residency requirement. And uh, they basically mapped out you have to be here for at least six months a year, uh, depending on your act and your decree, because they're kind of constantly changing these with the Congress here in Puerto Rico as it kind of comes and goes. They, they alter these decrees. 
So it depends on when exactly you get it, but you may have a requirement to uh, own a property. Uh, you may have a requirement to pay $5,000 a year in uh, charitable contributions, depending on your decree. But for the most part, if you live down here for six months out of the year, uh, you're good to go. Okay. They also have what's called a closer connection test. So if you have a tiny, tiny, tiny little studio down here and a big mansion in Florida and three cars in Florida and your wife and your kids in Florida and all your friends and all of your network in Florida, it, it would be a kind of a tough argument to be like, I'm a Puerto Rico mm. resident. So what they do in those cases is you have to allocate some of your income to a state that you spend, you know, that amount of your time. Right. So like NBA basketball players, I didn't know this have to actually pay taxes in all 50 States or almost all 50 States. Cause they're traveling so much and making income in all these different States. Right. So mm-hmm. <laughs> if you spend your time in Florida substantially, you'll definitely be wise to pay Florida some taxes and the IRS some taxes for the time that you spent in America. For sure. That, that's just kind of a no brainer. But for me, I love Puerto Rico. So I live down here all year. I don't have a house anywhere else. So I don't have to worry about any of that. Um, and I, I think in the spirit of these taxes, it kind of goes against it to come down here, try and take advantage of it, put it all, tuck all your money away and spend all your time in you know Colorado or Florida or wherever the hell you're from. Uh, as opposed to being down here, joining the community and, you know, really just making Puerto Rico a better place. Cause it's, it's had a lot of hits against it recently. And, and for the last hundred years. And that was, that was kind of like what I wanted to, to ask you about, were you there during the hurricane? Uh, I left like the night before Maria. Um, and I stayed in New York for about a month and then came back and lived without power and water for two more months. Um, but I, I was lucky that I was able to get out and I, and I, I kind of had to for my businesses. So like where you live did not have power and water for pretty much three months? Four. Yeah. Um, how, how does that even work? Like how, how can you, how could you have lived there then? Um, I actually just kind of moved in with the girl I was dating because uh, she had uh, water. She was on a, a ground floor, so she had water. Um, so, you know, you just kind of, you buy some camping supplies and, and rough it out, man. You know, we, we lived that way before and we can live that way again if we have to. It's not ideal, um, but most of these places have generators. And since Maria, the infrastructure is getting, you know, uh, a big overhaul. And, and most people are installing solar panels, uh, these like Tesla walls and stuff, because the, the grid down here, not going to lie, is, is definitely struggling. And it's, it's been struggling for a long time. It's getting investment to fix it up, but it's, it's going to be years. So most of the, the office buildings and buildings that people live in uh, have generator backups. So, you know, power goes out. And you're kind of good to go. So like last night, the power went out at my place for you know an hour and that's just kind of normal. Um, but the generator kicks on and, you know, life, life goes on. But Maria was definitely a rare exception. And we got hit with a hurricane two weeks before that, a category four uh, called Irma that, that barely missed the direct hit. But uh, a lot of Puerto Rico is already without power. It had already devastated a lot of the island. And like, you know, bulldozers plowing trees out of the road bad. And then Maria came. So it was like a a one, two punch that, that, you know, really, even if Puerto Rico was, you know, built up like Germany, I think it still would have really struggled. So how how do you like, obviously, you know, when power outage for one hour, you know, that's, you know, not too big of a deal, but you know, we're talking about a month or two months, no power. Like how, how were we able to manage your business or, you know, get internet, things like that? 
my office had a generator and power and stuff. So I would just go charge up, you know, some USB drives, charge up my laptop, charge up everything, uh, and then go home and plug in a little computer fan to a USB drive or a USB charger. And, you know, it, it was hot. That was, that was probably the biggest problem was it was hot and there's mosquitoes everywhere and you couldn't find bug spray. And, you know, you're just like laying in your bed sweating and you can't find ice. And, you know, but it, again, I, I was lucky the fact that I was able to leave the Island and, you know, my, my employees felt obligated to stay and take care of their families and everything and totally get that. And, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, when a hurricane comes, you just got to do what you got to do, man. And have, yeah. have empathy and sympathy for everybody and just understanding that it's going to get better. So, you know, we talked about mosquitoes, hurricanes, you know, obviously these are some of the disadvantages perhaps of, of living in Puerto Rico. Is there anything else that you would say is, you know, people need to be aware of if they're, they're considering where might be a little bit of a culture shock or, or things that they're not used to, like power going out all the time? Yeah, I would say the power is a big one. Um, I would say hurricanes in general, though, do have a tendency to miss Puerto Rico. Like we're not in Hurricane Alley like Florida. So uh, this was actually the first, these two hurricanes were the first major hurricanes to hit Puerto Rico since like, I think the 80s. Uh, There's like a big one in the 80s. And before that, the, like the only Cat 4 that ever hit was back in the 20s. So it's not exactly like you should just prep for hurricanes every year, all year, although you would be wise to be prepared. Um, so <laughs> just disclaimer there, I guess it's not a, it's not a big concern, uh, for most people on the Island. Uh, however, other things, I mean, culturally people here are so laid back and so fun loving, like on Christmas, it's sunny and beautiful. And everybody, I, I I'd say in generality speaking, culturally here in Puerto Rico, people love to dance. They love to party. They love to go to the beach, hang out, be with their friends, be with their family. And they participate in clubs to no other. So like on Christmas, you know, we were watching this parade of like Volkswagens go down, you know, Volkswagen buses, Beatles, you know, all these decked out in Christmas lights with Santa Clauses on top and inflatable. And like, it went on for 20 minutes and, and, you know, Puerto Rico doesn't have a huge population, but the population it has is like involved and fun. And it's, I've been all over the world at this point. Puerto Rico's is definitely one of my top, top places to live in the in the whole world. It, as far as just cultural struggles, things tend to happen a little bit slower because it's Island time. But if, if anything, I'd say that's, that's a good thing, right? Like we all need to slow down a little bit, take a deep breath and just enjoy. And Puerto Rico kind of forces you to do that. And, and I love that about it. So it's, it's not even a negative for me. Cool. I still have a lot of things I wanted to, to ask you about, but we don't have too much time left. So we're going to do some rapid fire, like try and Let's do, do 20 second answers for the rest of the rest of the time. Is that cool? Yep. All right. How's your salsa dancing since you've moved there? Good. What city should people move to in Puerto Rico? I would move to San Juan, Dorado, Palmas del Mar, or Rincon, kind of depending on what you're into. They're all beautiful places, okay. but you can't go wrong Puerto Rico, to be honest. You mentioned having employees over there. What, what are the wages like for employees in Puerto Rico compared to the States? Um, I'd say you can get a working professional that is smart and, uh, educated and speaks English fluently for around 40 grand a year, uh, take her plus or minus 10 grand a year. And that would be somebody who would make what here in the States? Depends on where you are in New York city, maybe 80 or 90, uh, maybe 130 
in LA, kind of same thing, San Francisco, probably 200. Um, it really depends on where uh, I would say that Puerto Rico is, is comparable to maybe a, a lower income state. Okay. What is act 20? Uh, Act 20 is the act that allows your corporation, if you move it down here or your LLC, to get the 4% tax incentive by providing a service outside of Puerto Rico, either consulting or uh, there's a lot of different criteria. Okay. How about Act 22? Act 22 is for your personal investments. So that's how you get uh, 0% capital gains on all of your passive investments. All right. Have you been to a baseball game? over there yet i have not oh you've got to like i haven't been there but i've been to baseball games in dominican republic and the it's just like next level i mean it's 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 crazy baseball is one of the most boring sports in the world for me like here in america but it's crazy over there so oh yeah anybody listening go to a baseball game in anywhere in the caribbean and you guys will be shocked yeah let's see what else uh favorite foods in puerto rico Mm, i'd say uh Pechuga con arroz y habichuelas, which is just chicken breast and their amazing rice and beans down here. Uh, that's one of my favorites. Uh, they have mofongo, which is like a mashed potato type texture, but it's mashed plantain and it's sweet and delicious. And they put gravy on it and like throw chicken and stuff in it or, or shrimp or steak, whatever you want. Uh, so you can't go wrong with mofongo or arroz cool. con habichuelas. All right. And let's see nightlife. Amazing. It's amazing down here, uh, especially in San Juan. There's this place called Placita that turns into a block party every Friday night. And it's about 30 30 or so bars uh, in one or two city blocks that they shut down all the roads. And it's just filled with tourists and locals, uh, people of all ages. You know, you see like 60, 70 year old Puerto Ricans dancing salsa, having the time of their lives till like two in the morning. Uh, (laughs) The nightlife is awesome in San Juan. All right. I'm going to, when I, when I come visit you, I'm going to expect you to introduce me to some of that nightlife. Yeah, man. We'll play some beach volleyball and uh, we'll go out. (laughs) Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Any last comments about like, you know, if somebody's considering moving to Puerto Rico, like what is, what is the biggest thing that, you know, you can tell like biggest piece of advice for somebody who's kind of on the fence, like what should be their determining factors or what they should self-examine, you know, in order to see if they should do it or not. I'd say, uh, Come visit and make a decision then because uh, you never know, right? It's so easy to, to make all these judgments of what you think Puerto Rico is like before you come here. Uh, and you really just don't know. So I would just say come spend a week, travel around the island, see what it has to offer. Uh, keep an open mind because uh, a lot of like things in, in Puerto Rico kind of look outside, look ugly on the outside. And then you just walk in and it's this amazing oasis that you never would have expected. So I would just say definitely keep an open mind. Um, if you're interested in good resources, uh, to speak to, um, my friend and, uh, probably the best lawyer on the Island, uh, is kind of creating this program with uh, a few other lawyers where they're basically going to handle all of everything as a one-stop shop. And right now it's, it's quite splintered between like municipal taxes, uh, IRS taxes, Puerto Rico, Hacienda taxes. Um, and I have like a different lawyer kind of handling all these different aspects and it becomes a little difficult to manage. So if you guys are interested in kind of a one-stop shop, um, my friend David Nisman is, is building something like that. So I can leave a email address for his, his partner. Um, maybe you guys can attach it to the podcast or something. Okay. Do you have that email address handy? Yes. Her name is uh, Teresa Jimenez, and 
her email is T as in Tom, J I M as in Mary, E N as in Nancy, E Z L A W at gmail.com. Cool. And if anybody wants to, you know, maybe find you, reach out to you, ask some more questions. So what's the best way to find you? Best way to find me is, uh, just at the my- local bar in San Juan. No, but, uh, seriously. Though. Yeah. So the easiest way to contact me is probably just DMing me on IG. Uh, so go ahead and find me on Instagram at Johnny J O H N N Y Haddon H A D D E N. Cool. All right. Well, John, muchísimas gracias por su tiempo. Thank you for your time to be with us. And I'll be hitting you up once I go to San Juan again. All right. Okay. Perfecto. Gracias, papá. All right. I'll see you later.